Industry Pods and Evergreen Podcast Network are pleased to present the following podcast. This content is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any such information or other material as legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. Nothing contained on here constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer by Draper Gorenholm or any third-party service provider to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments whatsoever. Hey everyone, it is me. We are here. Uh, we, Joseph is here too. Say hi, Joseph. Hey, what's up? Boom, boom, boom. We're recording. Good morning, everyone. Hey, everyone. Hey, everyone. Hey, everyone. Hey, everyone. I am recording this on the computer now. Hey, everyone. Hey, everyone. Hey, everyone. Hey, everyone. Boom. All right. It says it's recording. Boom. 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 I am apparently recording. The entire They're all exactly the same. Crypto art. And then what it really is, is an NFT. Wow. How do you want to slap the bag? So this is the next best thing. DeFi is going to be a bubble. It's provably scarce. With Mad Dog. Crypto. Gold and silver. Transparent substance. Take my money. Start a war with it. Without further ado. Cheers to you, brother. Get shit done. Because the system has to collapse before that. Cheers. I feel much better now. Cheers. (laughs) Wow. That was heavy. Boom. We are live. (laughs) Welcome, Kelly and Michelle, to the show. Oh, cheers. Boom. Nice. Kelly, what, what is that? That's a small directions. Cuba Libre. I had Ooh. to look it up. <laughs> I, I, love, I love that you did it proper. I, I went from actually like my wife making really uh, random, exciting cocktails for me at the beginning of these to making my own cocktails to getting lazy and just going to the fridge and grabbing a drink. So um, I like the the effort. Michelle, are you drinking anything tonight? Or are you? Uh... Um, I, I've got a lot of work that I <laughs> so I, I'm I'm doing water. I'm I'm hey, that's, that's, not that's drinking okay. the time, Unfortunately, it's 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 all good. We uh we we still love you and we appreciate you being here. So before we jump in, actually, I should do a little bit of homework. Welcome to Blockchain and Booze number seventy. Um, 70 weeks straight, uh, you know, basically from, I think our first week was the either first or second week of quarantine in Los Angeles at the beginning of COVID. So that's both, uh, sad and amazing, um, that we've come this far. Everybody's in the chat. Thanks for, uh, for joining. Uh, let us know what you're drinking and what, uh, where you came from. But if you're not in the chat, if you're watching on one of the streams on YouTube or, on uh, on uh, Lunar Crush's Twitter feed or wherever you're watching from, come to meet.blockchainbooze.io because you'll have a chance to potentially come on stage with us, but also ask questions, meet the other attendees after we're done with this uh, chat and, and just come hang out and be a part of the community. So, so make sure you come to meet.blockchainbooze.io. And I wanna thank um, Lunar Crush for being our stream partner, but also Blockchain Radio who, who syndicates the audio version. So if you uh, want to listen to some cool content during the week, blockchain radio is a cool thing to have while you're working, uh, playing. So thank you, 
uh, Blockchain Radio and uh, and Lunar Crush, whose uh, logo I'm flashing across the screen right now. Um, so so Kelly, Michelle, thank you again for joining us. This is a fun one because I actually, um, you know, I, I asked you to join us before I re-sort of uh, uh, dis discovered this and thought about this, but at our events, there's always two panels that are the most packed panels. One of them is is kind of obviously packed because it's the investor panel. So everyone wants to meet investors, the room gets packed. But one of the panels that always is really exciting is the marketing panel. Because I think there's there's one, there's very few actually crypto native marketers in the space. So, you know, there's not a lot of you guys who, who we can tap for advice. And so it's always important to, to get that. And I think there's just a lot of us who are launching crypto projects and different things and want to learn about marketing them. So both of you guys are, are marketing and PR experts. And, um, you know, Kelly, you, you why, don't, why don't we actually have each of you uh, give a little bit of background? Kelly, why don't, why don't you go first? Sure. Alon, thanks so much for having me. Uh, I'm Kelly Weaver. I'm the CEO of Melrose PR. We are an all blockchain and crypto focused PR and communications agency. And we've been doing it for um, almost five years now, exclusively in this space. And um, I also host a podcast called Crypto Token Talk, which we're gearing up to launch our fourth season soon, TBD. Haven't recorded uh, the first episode yet, but that's coming soon back. Um, and I'm so happy to be here. Thank, thank you for joining, by the way. I just threw that on the screen too fast, but, but Naja just, just, uh, just uh, hey, Naja. Come, come get off of LinkedIn and join us at meet.blockchainbooze.io. I'll share a link soon. I'll, I'll bring you up on stage with us. Love, Naja. If you're uh, not, you know, to, too distracted with family right now. Um, it's late, so I know a lot of people are, uh, you know, having dinner and stuff. But um, Michelle, I, I would love to uh, get your background and, and learn, learn more about you and what you've been working on. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad to be here. So thanks for having me. I'm Michelle O'Connor. I'm the VP of Marketing at Taxbit and have been working here uh, since January of this year. Taxbit is a digital asset uh, tax and accounting software provider for consumers and enterprises. Um, you've probably seen mention of the brand a few different places across yeah. social recently it's been well, we've had we've had you guys on this show in the past so was on. The, yeah it was yeah. Uh, adam adam was hosting that one um but but yeah it was a great show so. and um have worked in the crypto space for quite a few years prior to joining taxbit i was at uphold as their vp of marketing and have been in pr and marketing for quite a few years and came to Taxbit, interestingly enough, because I was their first consumer customer when they were, you know, pre-beta. Um, and then Uphold was their first wallet partner. So it was just w this wonderful symbiotic pass to get me from, um, it, 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 someone said the other day it was a, a long play to get the job because I've been talking about them for years. So it was a strategic move on my part, but just excited to be here tonight. And then it's really fun to be in this space. I think the last six to 12 months have been so exciting, having been here for what feels like forever. I was just talking earlier today um, with Joseph about a particular deal. And I remember telling him, I was like, you know, from when we did the first deal with them till today, it's less than three years time. And he was like, 
only been three years. <laughs> and and that's, you know, crypto, right? We always joke it's like dog years, but it's it's been so wild and so much has changed in this time, right? Like go back three years, none of us were brand new in crypto three years ago, but even at that point, it felt like we'd all, you know, been been here forever, right? Like it's it's really crazy. And I you know, you saying the the long play to get to tax bit is really funny because I think all of us being early in this space all have sort of weird, maybe if not obsessions, just love certain products, whether or not we're affiliated with them at all. It's like, it's, it's a part of that crypto journey. Like uh, it's just a part of a part of us in our sort of trajectory in the space. Um, it's, it's just crazy to think though, like how, how much, how little time has actually passed, but how much has changed in this world, right? I just did data. Speak about Lunar Crush. I'll give them a little bit of extra love and, and a plug. And I hope I didn't mention this last time. I've been saying this a lot because I've been hanging out with Matt, our new uh, events um, director, uh, on a lot of calls with potential sponsors and partners for the event and things like that. And I looked up the data of October 2019, which was the last time we had the in-person LA Blockchain Summit conference. And I think we had the year of pandemic and then a bunch more time has passed and we're finally, it looks like knock on wood, going to have an in-person conference again in November. And so I did, I ran the data on Lunar Crush to figure out how many unique individuals were talking about crypto on social media in October 2019 to today. And there is like, even pre this week's uh, uh, hype, before this week's hype, we were at more than 10x the number of people who are discussing and uh, crypto on the internet, right? So I'm not talking about just posts because obviously we're, we're even 100x probably the amount of content on the internet. But if you filter out the bots and you go to individual people, there's 10x the individual people. So that means tax bit has probably 10x or more the number of clients. Every one of uh, your clients, Kelly, has 10x the audience to reach out to than just two years ago. So if you think about that, it's it's mind just mind-blowing, right? And so the amount of interest in the in-person events and in every one of the, our portfolio companies' products has just significantly grown uh, uh, since then. So uh, everybody in the chat, welcome. Uh, feel free to throw questions in the QA, but I've got I've got some right now. Um, I want to start with with you, Kelly. You know, you've been a part of this. Two years ago, you were up on our stage in, in October 2019, right? And we, uh, I think, don't know if it was that one or the one before when you know we, we were up on stage with Binance US or or um, one one of those. <laughs> it's all these, all the events meld together. We're on no, that, I think that was 2019. Yeah. I think. So, so think about what's changed since then, and and the the what you're you're seeing. Are you seeing a difference in in sort of general approach from uh, from companies building in crypto, at least in terms of their PR and marketing strategies? Is it a different world because more people know about it now? Maybe less education. I, I'm maybe going too far into thinking, but. But what's what's sort of different and what's changed over time? And, you know, I, I would love to, to. Yeah, I mean, so much has evolved. I mean, one of the very exciting things is that crypto has kind of grown up and out of the basement in that time period. And now we're able to land consistent mainstream coverage like our, you know, client, the CEO of Cypher Trace has been on Squawk Box a couple of times in the past couple of weeks on CNBC. Like those types of placements just weren't 
CNBC wasn't talking about crypto every day the way that they are now a couple of years ago. Yeah. And so we've really like for some clients built this funnel of, of more mainstream appetite for these types of stories, which is exciting. And I would say most of the mainstream business tech finance pubs now have desks dedicated to crypto. And that's really fun as a publicist to work on because we really have you know, getting those stories. Now, it also presents some unique opportunities where you do have to cut through. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of people trying to make noise. Um, thought leadership is such a critical part of the strategy today. Um, and I think that that, you know, that our clients who who understand the value of thought leadership and expertise um, really go on to do very well and, and see those types of mainstream placements. Because if you can position yourself as an expert in a certain vertical, even a sub-vertical in crypto. So, you know, for CypherTrace, for example, like cryptocurrency analytics and blockchain intelligence software, they, anytime there's any kind of hack or security, yeah. they have experts to speak on that kind of those things. And so we get even inbound now from New York Times and Wall Street Journal and Reuters asking for those types of experts. And so I think, you know, if you can consistently be responsive and be an asset for these reporters, they're looking for experts in our industry to speak up. And it's just a matter of, you know, A, building those relationships and B, having great expertise, being super responsive and getting yourself out there. Because there's always going to be announcements that you can, you know, really build big feature stories around. But then in the in the absence of that, there's a lot that you can do from a thought leadership standpoint. And I'm happy to dive in further to that because there's lots of subcategories of of thought leadership, not just quote opportunities and broadcasts. When you say that, when you say that, right, like I I think I know what you're talking about, but but I also, you know, maybe I'm thinking of one thing, somebody else is thinking of another, and also let's break it down for the audience a little bit, right? So what does that mean by thought leadership? Does it mean writing medium posts about a subject? Does it mean, what What exactly does it mean? Um, so to- it, it means a lot of different things, but I, you know, when I was talking about it before, I'm thinking quote opportunities in existing articles, being an expert, being a resource, being able to provide commentary on some topical news that just has happened. Um, so does that mean like being proactive, like Bitcoin's price went up this percent, 30% in the last seven days, um, for real, yeah. that, that happened, right? So does that mean you sending a note to your, uh, to your, your Squawk Box crew and saying this one of, uh, this one of my uh, uh, um, clients um, that I represent is, you know, an expert on Bitcoin, you should talk to them because Bitcoin's been up 30% this week. That's exactly what we did on first thing Monday morning. It was like, okay, in the past 24 hours, Bitcoin's done this. Here's who can talk about it. Bam, bam, bam. We're being proactive. There's also things that you can do on the receiving end that are tactical. Um, Alana, I'm sure you're familiar and Michelle, but Haro Help a Reporter Out is a great resource for any entrepreneur that's looking to get themselves out there. That's where reporters will actually ask for um, leads for people who can speak to things and speed of response is, is really key on things like that. So if you're responsive on those, it's free. You can sign up at helperreporter.org or something like that, I think, and um, and be a resource. It's a great way to get quotes in. And if you kind of tee it up for them, like you send them something that they can literally copy and paste and put in their article and do it pretty quickly. They do provide a deadline, but I don't recommend waiting till the deadline. I recommend doing it right off as soon as you can. Um, you know, we get pretty good uh, percentage of turnaround on, on those as well. But there's definitely, you know, because of where we sit in our relationships, there's definitely a proactive reaching out to the CNBC reporters, especially for broadcast. It's a matter of getting on their desk in the morning. This happened. We have experts. We're available. Yeah. 
That's, um, that's a great, I will say the timeliness, uh, one of the reasons why when, when Adam left us and we hired a new person, one of the benefits actually that I was excited about was that uh, the guy we were thinking about hiring, um, uh, we did hire Matt, is on East Coast time. And there's been a couple times where where I was, I've been on Fox Business or whatever, and I got on their radar as probably a person that when somebody drops, they can call me in and I'm pretty reliable to say yes. <laughs> so that, so I'm like tier two, right? They, they message me uh, and there's been a couple times where because Adam and I are, are on West Coast time, by the time we see it at seven, eight in the morning, our time, the opportunity is already gone. Because well, they we have someone, yeah, on a team on the East Coast managing that for that exact reason, because yeah. it happens first thing. It happens before the day starts on the East Coast often. But there's yeah. different producers for different segments. So we also work with the afternoon, evening, yeah. weekend producers. So there's that. Um, I don't want to keep going, but I can yeah. talk a lot more about thought leadership and all the different other forms it can take. But. We, we should we should we should dive in a little more. But I'd like, you know, Michelle, you're you're focused maybe a little bit more on um the consumer product, right? And and maybe I, I would love to actually get your from your perspective. Are you guys is your end user for tax bit more uh, often a, a consumer retail type of person, or is it B two B kind of sales? What, you know, what? How do you guys focus and and talking about thought leadership? How does that play into your guys' strategy? And and I'd love to to hear from your approach. Sure. So we have three different market verticals. We have the consumer interface that people are most familiar with mm -hmm. that, that goes in that has the tax optimizer and year-round trading information, as well as can calculate your data for uh, you know tax forms when tax time comes around, which seems to be a moving target the last few years. And then we have the enterprise and government side of the house that works with different exchanges and uh, institutional parties to help with tax form issuance for them, for their customers, as well as accounting for crypto on their books. Because a lot of these institutional players are starting to hold, move, trade, exchange, accept crypto. So they need the accounting software that we have built and have scaled. And the way that we look at thought leadership is we have a pretty deep bench of subject matter experts who then are hyper-focused on different topics of, of area. So we have the director of government who works really strategically with our land and expand model for different regulatory and um, government bodies. And then we have our compliance SME team, our accounting SME team, our tax and legislation team. So they all really have areas where we can lean on that bench depending on what we need to speak to and also keep help with the educational and understanding because as much as we know that this industry has evolved, it's still so early. Yeah. And with these institutional and some of the legacy players, it's a long road until they actually feel comfortable. They might've jumped in because of FOMO, but then there's that afterthought of what are we doing? How do we get there? What does this actually mean? And what's a Bitcoin ETF? So there's a lot of moments of they're in and, and then trying to backpedal and figure out what they're actually. What, what is a Bitcoin ETF? Uh, I don't think any actually exists. So that's that's the multi-zero <laughs> question. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. um, that's yeah. That's it, it's amazing to, to think about. So with so many sort of potential customers, right? There's a few uh, verticals there. Um, if you if you dive in, right. Um, 
And um, uh, we're starting to get some, some great questions in the chat, by the way, so I might jump into there in a sec. But with, most, with those things, is it, does it hurt or help that you have those sort of deep benches of experts? In a way, I would think that uh, a group like Kelly's or for you to, to, to sort of sell your team to, to some of these opportunities, it almost would potentially help to have like sort of one person that's your go-to person, right? Or is there actually a benefit from having a bench like in terms of you have lots of options for, for, for different coverage? I'm thinking I, about it out loud. I might be answering the question kind yeah, of. No, so our bench has worked really well because there's there are these you know areas of extreme focus. So if we're dealing, uh, we announced earlier this year a partnership with the IRS. So the, the regulatory uh -oh. bodies that were, no, it's good. So the regulatory bodies that, that reply to that or then saw that as, as okay, we're, we want to explore what tax bits government and regulatory body mm -hmm. offering is. They want to speak to someone who can speak that language. That's where I pull in our director of government relations. If we're talking to, you know, a family office or an accounting firm, that's where our accounting team of experts come in. So it, it really helps affirm our expertise and helps us walk the walk that we that we really know what we're doing and not we have the team here in-house to build and support and scale what what we have out there i can answer your question a little too alon i think it's definitely a good thing to have a bench we love to have a bench um because there's different verticals that require different expertise. One of our clients, we've been able to get their general counsel on Bloomberg television talking about crypto regulation, for example. There's uh, opportunities specific for women on the team. Um, and we have amazing women, um, uh, you know, our clients have amazing women on their team who can speak to different topics. So there's different opportunities for different types of folks. And sometimes the CEO may, may not have time for something or maybe it's yeah. not the perfect fit. So it's good to have uh, a few different people who are media trained and media ready um, to be able to answer questions. Yeah, it, it definitely, I think I was answering it out loud because on one hand, I think I was thinking about it in the way of like getting into marketing strategies and things like that. Like we always, do stuff and we're, we're different than the average, you know, VC firm or event company or whatever, because both Joseph and I are like techie nerds who are more on the marketing side of, of everything before we even started what we're doing here, right? Which is why we built sort of the conference before we had our fund and it's usually the other way around. Um, and so we always, even with like, if we're, you know, looking behind the curtain, even my stupid posts that look like I'm goofing around and posting some video on LinkedIn about some random subject, some are easy to see through it, some maybe is not, or do not have some kind of background reason why I'm doing it, right? And the, the, usually when we write a big email or a press release or a thing on our blog, we, we ask out loud to each other and to the team, like, what's the actual call to action here? What's the reason for this, right? We're not just throwing stuff out there. So in a way, I was thinking about it from that, from that sort of angle of all roads need to lead to the same place in some ways, right? Like if you're selling a product, if you're doing something, but having a deeper bench with different kinds of experts for different kinds of topics and dividing and conquering, um, uh, in that respect, makes makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I I get where that's going. When I was asking the question at first, I was like, wouldn't it be easier to just go like this person is the 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 the, the king or queen of the of the empire, and let's just make sure that they're the 
top, right? So that she can be the person they always call for every single segment, but it, you know, that person may or not be the right person, right? And then, so why not have other experts that can talk about different subjects, right? Um, I wanna jump into the QA because I thought this was a, a great question here. Um, hold on, I'm gonna delete this one. Pravi, uh, you will never get me to move to Miami. Uh, if you've ever seen, there's, there's a question that says, how do we get along to move to Miami? I am jealous of many things going on in Miami and I definitely, there's a lot of things to be bummed about in California with politics and, and all sorts of things, but we don't even have to go there. Uh, there's a song uh, that I love from Youth Brigade called Sync with California. Go play that on repeat to yourself. Well, all three of us, all three of us are Californians on this call, so. That's, that's true, um, you know, but I was born and raised here and I'll probably live here forever even if I have to punish myself to do so. There's just, you know, it's just my home, sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, so here, let's get to the real question. Um, uh, so, I think this is this is actually um, actually let's do this one that goes before the uh, Mike had a good question. Let's go to Jesse's question. He said, "When introducing a new legitimate project, and he purposely put not a meme token <laughs> um, via uh, PR and hiring a PR firm and or a person, what are you know what do you see are the first steps in putting messaging into the world? So I guess what where do you begin? Right, you're launching a new project." You're thinking about hiring a team or hiring a PR person. What are the first few steps, um, you know, that, that you might go through? Michelle, do you want to take that? So my approach would probably be a little bit different, but that's just the way that I, I approach marketing in general is <laughs> the who, like the who and the what. So what the product is, is very different based on each person. If you have a team mm -hmm. of 10 and you survey them, their answers will all be different. And then the why, why does anyone care? What does a consumer's care? What does an investor care? What does the media care? And, and once you kind of have that foundation, blowing it out and saying, mm -hmm. okay, this, this is our messaging depending on your audience. So this is what we're going to say to the media. This is what we're going to say to influencers. And this is what we're going to say to our consumers or end product or end users. Those are all going to be a little bit different, but if they all ladder up to the same thing, that that's that's where you have to get to. And if you have too much dilution, too much hyperbole, or buzzwords, uh, if you can play buzzword bingo in any of your messaging, it's it's probably not going to be taken seriously by media and consumers. That's a pretty good, uh, it, I know from my perspective with companies pitching me all the time, it's almost like the easiest way to spot either like a newbie or an amateur, somebody that really doesn't know or somebody who's kind of bandwagging into the space. Yeah. Yeah. If, um, I'm sure the media people can see right through it too, right? I'll see, I'll see things uh, where someone wanted to, to help and they'll draft something and then I'll look at it and I just write buzzword bingo and send it back and then and then they'll they'll come back. But it's it's a way where if you can get people thinking that way, where it's what's the long-term goal, what's the value, what's the the safety or interest or perception, that that's what you have to lead with. Yeah, I think Kelly said something. Uh, really smart. We try to do it, and I probably learned it from Kelly or one of the PR firms I've worked with in the past. Is keeping it really easy for the for the journalists, where they can cut and paste. So the the press release itself almost has to be a beginning, middle, and end story that they could change a few words and get it up very easily, right? 
hundred percent. And and what Michelle outlined, like that's f- foundational messaging is important before you do anything outward facing. And I think because we've been doing this a few years now and we've kind of learned from our own mistakes, we're very formulaic about even onboarding clients and the approach that we take to messaging strategy and making sure that all messaging is fully approved and that we understand what the client's going for, that they can articulate what it is that they want um, and all boilerplate language, you know, messaging is approved before we do any outward facing outreach. Because when we do it backwards, it always comes back to bite. You want to make sure that you fully understand what you're going for and then you put together a plan based on that, based on those goals, based on those audiences, based on, you know, all that Michelle talked about. Um, but that really is step one. You gotta be clear on what it is that you're going for and have concise, easy to understand, you know, messaging that you can repeat over and over again. That's It's probably a, a sign almost, uh, so an exercise that needs to get done. And it might be a sign of a company who maybe isn't uh, uh, heading in the right direction or doesn't have their shit together in a sense. When you, you know, Michelle, like you said at the beginning, when you ask 10 people on a team or you ask a bunch of people on a team, what's, who are they going for? What's the purpose? Whatever, they might give you different answers. That by almost by definition means that the team isn't very tight, doesn't have a sort of uh, North Star and doesn't know why, not everybody on the team knows why they're there, right? And that's probably the, the, a bad sign, right? Like I look at companies who are scattered, who have that kind of approach and, and, it takes somebody putting it all together to create this culture of we're all moving in the same direction um, or else they're just not, they're going to flail and not, not find, not find it. Right. And I think that that's almost, that's the internal part that needs to get done before an external team like Kelly's uh, can actually be valuable. Right. Or it'll be up to <laughs> Kelly to come in and ask those questions and uh, hopefully get everyone on track. Right. And half the time we, we do end up putting together some messaging during that exercise, which is a week long process. But the red flag to me is when a lot of teams come, they, they realize that they need external help when they're putting together a press release and they're wanting to get that news out like next week. And the challenge is then you're working, you're, you're up against it because there's a few things that need to happen. You need, you want your any external resources to be fully up to speed with what you're going for before they do any outreach on your behalf. It's kind of like a no-brainer, but that does take a little bit of time. And in, in our case, a week, which I think is pretty streamlined, but, you know, it's a week. And then um, you also want to work backwards from when you're announcing the news. So we'll often pitch under embargo, which means, okay, we've agreed on a date that this news is going to go live. Let's say that's happening next Tuesday. We need all final approvals to the press release, especially a partnership press release or when there's multiple parties involved. Those Alon knows as well. Like, so does Michelle, like lots of approvals, bottleneck the process. You have to get different time zones, coordinate. Okay, yes, this press release is good. So think backwards from the time that you want to the news to go live because that approval process can take time. The last thing you want is to go out to the media and then have someone say, oh, wait, I want to change a tweak to my quote. And it's like, no, sorry. Well, once it's out there, you know, even under embargo, it's incredibly difficult and confusing and frustrating to the media if you go back to them and make any changes once everything's been approved and it's been sent to them. And that's it's the mornings on the news goes live when we have to make corrections and reach back out to the reporters for corrections. It's because it's always because a press release at some point has been changed because someone hasn't and, and there's confusion. So it's 
it's good to think very far in advance. I, we have some clients who think the press release first when they're thinking about product feature or not, you know, and they work from the press release backwards. I think it's a Steve Jobs trick. Um, I'm all in favor of that. Like, think about the press release first. What's the news? What's the announcement? And think super far in advance. And then work backwards, because the other thing that you have to consider is, okay, so we're pitching under embargo, let's say the news is going live next Tuesday. Today is a Tuesday, so we're going to reach out on, you know, Wednesday morning, Thursday morning, try to line up interviews and stories, but you want to give reporters like they will pass if they aren't given an appropriate amount of time to write their stories correctly, because you know, they have jobs and they have lives and they have deadlines and they have all sorts of things that they're working on too. So you have to be mindful of their time to give them the news and it's going live tomorrow. It just isn't really fair to the reporters to, to assume that they have time to write a, a proper story for you. So you do have to be mindful of that. And I know that news happens quickly and it's like you want to turn it around fast, but sometimes delaying the news, like a delaying raise announcement so you can do this process right is going to give you much better success than doing it way too rushed and not getting yourself enough time to execute on this outreach. It's, it's interesting because there's there's been people that I've talked to in the past who are like, we never do embargoed releases because they don't, like some people don't, uh, you know, agree to them or this or that. But I've, I've seen, I would say 90% of the time getting people a few days at least ends up uh, being a better quality version of an announcement. Journalists are professional and they, they they have reputations too. They're not going to break an embargo. I mean, there's been a couple of times where that's happened by accident. It's definitely not the norm. We shop embargoes almost consistently across the board for any big news. And it's happened maybe twice in the past 12 months over hundreds of releases. Yeah. And so, and, and, and by the way, when it happens, like we contact the reporter immediately and it gets pulled from the site. So it's like, this is, this is not something that you should be concerned about. Yeah. I, I, I think that the, the funny thing is, is, you know, when we do it, <laughs> I'll, I'll be totally honest, we say we always have the intention of we're going to get it to the journalists a few days in advance, and then we pick a date that we're going to do it, and then because we don't get our shit together, the approvals take longer than we want to and whatever, and instead of just going, okay, let's just push it by a few more days so we can do it properly, we just go like, hey, whatever, they've got a day, we'll send it out, but they've never... It's never a good thing. And we kind of do it based on like, is this a really big announcement or is this just like a transactional thing? We want to make sure we get out there and maybe a couple of people will pick it up. But it's not, um, it's, it, it is always better to get it out there in advance and do it properly and uh, have the team do it right. <laughs> um, it's, uh, uh, yeah, it's, but it's, it is funny though. There are some people have really strong opinions about it. And uh, I, I really don't, fully get it right like it's it's i i don't get the the feeling of not giving it to someone in advance like somehow you're letting something out it's it's kind of the same thing as startups who um want to be in stealth mode forever and don't want to tell anyone including investors what they're doing and then it, they're shooting themselves in the foot because like, you tell me what you're doing. I'm not going to go on Twitter and be like, hey, you know this random dude you don't know who's launching a startup that's doing this thing you don't care about. Like, I'm not going to do that. Like, it, it doesn't help me. It doesn't make sense. But, like, you have this feeling of, like, I'm going to keep everything secret because I don't want competition to know it. I don't want this. And some of that is maybe important. But, like, being too closed is also hurts you. And in this case, it's, it's a similar um, – idea right like you're you're trying to like make some big splash and announcement but telling people privately about it three days in advance or a week in advance is not going to hurt you um it's only can potentially help um i want to jump back into the questions because there's there were some good ones uh better than my uh 
rambling train of thoughts here. So, um, uh, you know, this one, it says it's for Kelly, but I think that um, this, this also could work for, for Michelle. With the, with the uh, Mike asked, with the space becoming increasingly statured, uh, I think he means that, you know, more people, uh, more people and more uh, legitimacy in the space. How are you positioning clients with new legitimate projects to the media to get their story told? So um, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming he's meaning, you know, a brand new client coming in. How do you set them apart, right? They might not already have some media. Somebody else actually uh, asked a question saying a lot of reporters say they don't want to write about a project until there's been more press. I don't know if I agree with that, but there's a feeling that if something hasn't been covered, it's not special, so why should I cover it? So how do you get that first, uh, uh, you know, those first sort of hits for, for companies who are new? Michelle, do you want to take that? Uh, I mean, sure, I can go through like my approach and how I did it. So if looking at TaxFit and, and you know, when I joined in January, they were kind of really coming out of stealth mode. Um, they'd been around for a few years, had been pretty conservative. Most of the media they had gotten was um, in joint with Uphold, or it was mm -hmm. me sending them to a reporter <laughs> saying, you know, tweet, talk to talk to Austin, and and forcing that conversation. Yeah. Uh, in January, we kicked off with a um, strategic investment round led by uh, PayPal Ventures and Coinbase Ventures. So two big names. It was, I think it was like January 6th. So we really just started out sprinting into 2021, but it was people going, you know, who, who are these, who are they, what are they doing and what's happening? So it, it took some finesse to get that message out there and what we were doing and how do we strategically talk about what our vision is, but not getting too in the weeds because taxes and accounting is, can be a little overwhelming. And frankly, people kind of glaze over um, when talking about it kind of in that window of time. It has evolved since then where it feels as if everyone under the sun wants to talk about taxes, the different loss or like harvest opportunities. What are you doing with the market volatility? And it's it's wonderfully now our opportunity has shifted where we're really strategically like figuring out who we talk to, who comments, who from the team comments, if we comment and if we participate. So that's been a real fast, fast track. But when you're kind of pushing the boulder uphill and you're not there yet or you can't get that traction with media, it can be incredibly frustrating, but you just have to keep at it. But you can't do nonsense and noise like it has to be something tangible. Media do not care that you have a partner announcement unless it's strategic. If you announce a partner that's nine to 12 months out and there's no product, they're probably not gonna cover it. Yeah. So it really has to be something that's worthwhile and people care about, especially now. Media have so much news across the board that if it's something that's intangible or it doesn't really matter, they're not gonna write about it. Yeah. yeah. Can I add to that? There's four buckets of announce types of announcements that we're seeing make a splash potentially. So you can think through this when you're thinking through, okay, what announcements do I have coming up? Think through what, what might make sense for news. One is big money. Any kind of dollar amount obviously is going to attract attention. 
big names. So to Michelle's point about partners, you know, partners, advisors, people, like anything that anyone that's known or, you know, brands that are recognizable. Yeah. New tech innovation can be news, but only if it's basically making changing the game for the industry somehow. So if it's changing the game for your community, probably a press release, maybe not major news, maybe crypto news. And then data, press love data. This is a way that you can actually create news. Um, our client Cybertrace has done a brilliant job of doing a, you know, a anti CAML report quarterly. And mm. those reports kind of capture the state of crypto and they're referenced for years to come. Like our, you know, CNBC recently referenced a report from 2018 that Cybertrace did because it wow. captured the state of the industry at that point. So you can see major mileage from reports and data and we consistently break those with mainstream that's new. really cool. Yeah, the, not just, you know, we've done the basic stuff. Like I remember I sent an email once and I thought it was like a long shot and it was an experiment at the time. It was, you know, months and months ago or, or maybe even years ago at this point. But I remember looking at Lunar Crush and there being some big pumps some big thing that happened. And I went, hey, I want to experiment with something. Give me five bullet points about what's going on right now with some data. And John from Lunar Crush, because he's like a crazy wizard, like 30 seconds later gave me five bullet points, like 27% of this happened. And this was an 87% increase from yesterday. And like he gave me all these things. And I just sent a message to our reporter database saying, breaking news, Bitcoin does X, Y, Z, data included. And I should, and I included the graphs from Lunar Crush, the bullet points of the data. And I said, and their CEO is happy to talk about it on any news station, whatever, whatever. And if you have a request for any specific graphs, we'll have a 10 minute turnaround time for your publication. And they got like a ton of responses. They got asked to be on like four different TV shows that day. Like, and it was just the easy, and it was, it was literally like a 15 minutes from, hey, I wonder if this would work to sending them the email and getting that. And it was all because of the really specific data. They love the conciseness of, you know, being able to throw those numbers up and those graphs up. One thing that also part of that question was, you know, what, what do I do if I don't have any press? I mean, I do believe that press begets press. We call it the snowball strategy. No press is too small. When we have clients who kind of like put their nose up in the air and don't want to talk to certain publications, that can create a problem. Now, I'm not saying your CEO needs to answer questions to every different crypto news media under the sun, but getting your name out there, like I said, thought leadership takes a lot of forms. That could be a YouTube channel. That could be a podcast. There's kind of, if you have this mentality, no opportunity too small, you're responding to horrors. You're putting yourself out there for expert commentary. You're even DM reporters on Twitter. Like reporters love Twitter. Be a resource for them. Look at what they're writing. Reach out to them when you have relevant expertise that you can add, you know, and potentially contribute. And that will lead to more opportunities and that will get yourself out there. Yeah, I'll give you two quick analogies. One thing we always used to say about the crowdfunding space when I was building a company in it and trying to help people with their campaigns and different things, we used to say that nothing attracts a crowd more than a crowd. So there is a, a, a certain amount of just, you know, create that buzz, create that opportunity and, and people will follow. But the, the, a really interesting thing that I thought was great and there, you know, different publications are probably good for different things. Right. Um, and sometimes you're doing press because of the, the, um, the factor of being able to legitimize yourself, right? Like, Oh wow. They were in the wall street journal. They're a very legitimate group, 
or you're doing it something else, you run Google ads or some other part of your strategy to, to actually get more, more users. And one can amplify the other, right? But I will, I'm a data nerd and in my last startup, the same day that I was written about um, on the Wall Street Journal blog for something that we did, like so on the Wall Street Journal website, we were on the uh, SoCalTech.com website. And Ben Kuo, our friend in Southern California does SoCalTech and it's like the most simple blog type of site. You wrote a paragraph about the thing that happened with our company the same day it was in the Wall Street Journal. All these people congratulating us about the Wall Street Journal and there was a link in the article directly to our website. And so I tracked the analytics on both sites we got like 20x the number of people that came through socaltech.com to our website that day than the Wall Street Journal. Wall Street Journal, traffic-wise, it, it blew. Like, it was terrible. It was not, not very good. But every one of our investors was super impressed, and every one of our potential customers went like, wow, you know, I read about you in the Wall Street Journal. So, I, you know, it was very, you know, very impressed, right? Like, and for enterprise sales, which is what we were doing, that was impressive. But for consumers and people actually coming to our website, the, the SoCal Tech article worked better. And from that day, I, I'm probably a little bit of a, uh, I'm, I'm a ham and I'll probably do any podcast and anything anyway, because it's just fun for me and I clearly like to talk too much. But like from that point on, I never looked at any particular thing and went like, oh, I don't know if I should do you know, that blog, look at how ugly it is or look at how, you know, it's probably nobody reads it anyway. All those things add up and they're helpful. You'd be surprised. And I've seen it with people sponsoring our event because, you know, like Crypto Stash and our friends at Blockchain Beach and these random uh, YouTube channels come and set up booths and do interviews at our event. And people will go straight to the CNBC or CNN thing if it's there or Fox Business running around, they try to hand it. And then we send our sponsors or even the speakers notes saying, hey, uh, uh, you know, Crypto Stash wants to interview you or Crypto Wendy O, she wants to interview you. You should go hit her up. And they just go, ah, you know, a random YouTube channel, they don't go to it. But you don't realize how much actual exposure some of those people have and how many diehard followers they actually have and how much value they, they actually bring you. Uh, and people are, you know, like they, they judge a book by its cover in that respect and they think, Oh, you know, that one, even if I don't get on that one, if I try to make that happen, it's more important than me doing these five other ones. And you should do both, of course, but like so many people uh, uh, do what you were just saying, uh, Kelly, which is just like, oh, this is beneath me. I shouldn't do it or, or whatever. And, uh, you know, uh, it's to me, it's always worth it. Right. It can't hurt to have another positive thing when somebody Googles your company. Right. Um, I, I can't imagine it hurts at least. It's so important too to remember to, and you're so good about this, Alon. I actually was quoted in Forbes this morning and I haven't even tweeted or put it on LinkedIn yet. So I'm not practicing what I preach here, but like a tree could fall in the forest. You're, you're quoted in Forbes. That's great. But, you know, it, until you put it on LinkedIn, nobody really knows about it. Um, you know yeah. what you need to do? Set up Google alerts for your name and for your company. Um, I do it through, I know Kelly, you, I think you use this system. We talked about it in the past. We use something called Scission and I actually set up or I used to do this and have somebody on our team do this for every new portfolio company we have, but I have an alert that comes into my inbox every single morning at 7 a.m. The first email I read every morning is my Scission alert for every one of our portfolio companies and their CEO's names. And I literally forward them a thing going like, hey, cool press today. And 90% of the time, the first time they saw it is when I forward it to them. 
So I'm seeing it before them. And so you need to do that for yourself. And I'm kind of bad sometimes in like sharing my own stuff. But when it's our portfolio companies, I go nuts. Like it's easier for me to share their successes than, yeah. than our own hits. But but it's the Talk. easiest thing to, be able to do is those Google. Talkwalker is a great free site for that. I think it's more effective than Google. Um, Talkwalker. Yeah, it's a free place to set up alerts mm -hmm. and you can email yourself. Decision is expensive. It's probably not cost effective. Yeah, decision is expensive. So yeah, if you have a PR firm, ask them to set it up for you. I we we started paying for it only after a certain period of time. We were really scared to bite that bullet because it was really expensive for us as well. And then eventually, once we started learning to use it, it became worthwhile. But it's something that your PR firm should probably will have, right? They'll have a version of it. There's a few different yeah. kinds of things like it. Um, uh, so. You know, I, I did, there was a good question. I think we'll, um, unless um, unless somebody in the chat messages that they wanna, oh, thank you, Joe, for sharing the talk walker link in the chat. Um, unless somebody in the chat has a really important question that they feel like they need to hop on stage to give, let me know and I'll, I'll throw you the link. But in the meantime, I've got a, a few really good questions in the QA that I'll hit. Um, I think David gives a good question here. David Kim, uh, in, who's a, a regular and on blockchain and booze asked aside from the mainstream media outlets what do you feel are the main uh crypto industry newspapers or outlets right like what are the their reputations and, and slants like how do you approach them from a pr perspective right like which ones are the worthwhile ones in our space i guess you have to be kind to all of them because you want them all to cover but so so just which ones are the top ones the most important in your opinion i mean that is <laughs> Not it. Yeah, I'll take it. Uh, we have a great relationship with CoinDesk. So yeah. we, we love CoinDesk and they probably hear from us first across the board because uh, we love Zach, their deputy global editor. Zach is great. Yeah. Gives us some good love. So we do love CoinDesk. Outside of CoinDesk, we work a lot with Decrypt. We look a lot, work a lot with Cointelegraph. Um, the block, although probably not as much as the aforementioned. Um, and then there's a slew of others as well that are also uh, great to work with. And, and I, again, I don't think there's any crypto site too small because the audience is super targeted. So if that's, yeah. if your audience is crypto native, um, it's, it's good to be engaging with a variety of different crypto pubs. Another thought leadership strategy, which you can consider is writing op-eds, thought leadership driven opinion pieces and shopping those to crypto publications. We have good distribution relationships with a lot of crypto pubs that will publish op-eds. Now you're not self-promoting in, in a direct way, but you're promoting how you think about different topics and ideas. And that's a great thing to think about if you have writing capabilities internally. Um, and kind of shop those ideas to editors and get distribution for your op-eds. I think that's something that uh, PR firms are really great about doing that I never, we never do proactively because in our minds, we sort of run like a startup and we're like, we don't need a PR firm because we kind of do it ourselves, but but we sort of do in a way because there's lots of things that you guys are more disciplined about and, and obviously it's your full-time job, so you guys do it right, um, while we're experimenting with crazy ideas all the time, um, which works or sometimes fails. But you know that's something that I probably haven't done in years because we haven't had our own PR firm in years, is those op-ed pieces. And um, you know, how do you, how do you, because I remember, uh, you know, for me, it's really hard to just sit down and like, write something. But when a PR firm kind of gives me a few bullets and gives me a direction and goes, 
this publication will probably write about it if you write about XYZ. And if they don't, if they don't post it, somebody else probably will get somebody to, to post about it, right? So how do you guys go uh, about that? And um, do, you guys, do you guys sort of try, come up with the ideas, give it to the, the people and set it up in that way? Yeah, and Nikki, shout out to Nikki, our chief strategy officer, who is an absolute op-ed ninja in terms of coming up with ideas and topics that editors are going to love and are and, and also listening to the environment that we're in to come up with, okay, this is a topic and here's an op-ed and how we can think about it. We actually, much of the time, ghost write them for our clients. So sometimes we'll get bullet points and actually draft them. Um, some publications prefer to see a full draft. Some want to hear an idea and then see a draft. So mm -hmm. it really depends, but you have to kind of reach out to the, it's an editor by editor basis and see how they prefer to go about it. Um, but you know, you can see what other op-eds uh, are being published on their site and then think critically about, okay, where's my expertise lie? What's happening in the news? You know, how can I come up with something that's both topical and, you know, helps you know my expertise shine through i think i think also something that we did in the past um or my previous company did in the past is sort of take blog posts we would have wrote and published on our own site anyway and started reaching out to our friends in the industry and i was really hyper focused to that yeah. industry but uh we, we did things like that and tried to get them to publish it regardless we would put it on our blog um anyway uh, michelle do you guys have a part of that in, in your strategy and um, any sort of tips in that kind of world, uh, sort of um, uh, bespoke content that you guys create? Yeah, I mean, we're in this wonderful position. So a lot of publications or companies don't want to give tax advice or, or direct financial advice. So mm -hmm. we have a lot of relationships where on a bi-weekly or monthly cadence, we will draft specific content based on the trending topic or something that a publication has asked for. So we contribute frequently to Coindesk and Benzinga and other publications mm. where one of our SMEs will draft something and it's, you know, it's published there. I contribute content usually around community marketing, et cetera, as well, but it's really where can they bring value where they don't have people to do it themselves? or a, a different voice or opinion. So looking at those content contribution opportunities is something that they're traditionally um, unpaid as far as it's it's an earned, not an mm -hmm. owned opportunity. And it's really a great way to have reciprocity. So we also have then Benzinga draft things for us that we publish on our, our website. So it's, it's a great way to build that rapport, but then also get a different voice and a different audience. Yeah, I think that people do discount the um, the sort of collaboration, you know, uh, partnership style of of you know getting the word out and getting shit done. Right? There's there's some really obvious ones when there's partnerships with companies that are complementary, but there's also things like you know we do it with our events um, and stuff. Right? We bring in the media partners and we go, hey, if you guys promise to do some of these promotions, we'll make sure that you get a booth at our event to do your stuff. We'll also put your logo on the website, we'll do that stuff. So there's definitely versions of that within the industry too, not as obvious as <laughs> is what I just said there, but you can get creative and people are stoked to do it, right? Like everyone needs more eyeballs. Everyone needs yep. a different kind of audience and wants that, that help on promotion. So we're, we're sort of running out of time, but I'd love to give, um, give you guys uh, a moment to um, 
to you know hit any specific topics you think are important or, or give any plugs. Um, and but before I do that, I want to tell everyone again: uh, when we're done with this, we're gonna we're gonna stop the stream, but you'll be able to turn on your cameras and meet with each other at the tables and things like that if if you'd like to. So if you're watching one of the streams, come to meet.blockchainboos.io so that you can hop into there and uh, and and do that. So. Why don't we start with you, Michelle? What what did we miss today? What 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 do you think is is important, or at, at minimum, you know, tax bit? But give us some uh, give us some plugs where we can follow you and get you know ask for more advice if we're in the audience. Yeah, sure. So I I think an important thing for companies that are in this space, or frankly, people that are looking to learn more, is is really finding your community and being active and finding brands that are active across social. I mean from anyone who followed uphold when i was there i was you know i ran their social and was very active there and looking for teams and leaders that are active and responding and engaged because that indicates that there's that customer obsession and if you have that within a leadership team on social that means they're doubly so internally and then also looking at what is your strategy and kind of how do you growth hack things? I, mm -hmm. I'm non-traditional. I, I don't follow the the tradition, you know, 80-20 method of anything, which is kind of where I found this wonderful, crazy world of crypto. And looking at how can you think outside of what others are doing and don't follow the precedent, set the precedent, be willing to make mistakes and ask for forgiveness if something doesn't work well and really just build relationships um i think some of the wonderful things i mean kelly and i have crossed paths for years but it's really wonderful to have a professional community as well of people that are in this space across different companies and verticals who you can just have open conversations with and, and discuss what's going on and, and really build all of that. So that actually, you know, part, let's let's you know. Well, speaking of breaking rules, uh, we don't have to end on time. I have another <laughs> question. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm I'm very much a subscriber to that sort of growth hacky. Let's figure it out. Let's find some ways to do it right. And we had to do it in many ways when when we didn't have money or in uh, in bear market times when we had to go. Me and Joseph are the only people working on this conference. So how do we get thousands of people to show up? Or we're the only ones doing this. How do we make it seem bigger than, than we are? Or how do we do sales when we don't have time for this, right? So we have to we have to hack all sorts of together things. And I think every startup needs to have that kind of mindset at the beginning. Like how are we going to get from zero to somewhere without any resources? Because most people start there, right? But yeah. At what point um, do you then sort of graduate to enlisting Kelly or enlisting a, a PR firm to to come on board and take it take it to the next level, right? Because I would say that at a certain stage you can you need some some outside help. You can't yeah. always do it internally. Well, I mean that's a beautiful segue. So um, we actually just engaged Kelly and her team. We haven't announced this yet, but they're going to be helping. <laughs> no, no embargo. Sorry, Kelly. <laughs> uh, bad client. It's it's. Um, I hit the point where we have 
so much momentum going on, which is a wonderful problem to have that I had to basically raise my hand and say, I need help because yes, I can do this, but in order to do it successfully at scale, I, I need experts to come in and help me. So it's, it's, it's really when you realize you don't want to wait too long. So, you know, I, I joke that I'm on two treadmills at a 10 every day and that's just kind of the pace that I keep. That's not effective long-term and that's, isn't, that's isn't that just everyone in crypto come on she's done an incredible job by herself by the way i have to give you credit i mean in the past six plus months taxbit has gotten impre incredible press coverage if you google it so and that's been all michelle uh Thank and you. actually found us through a reporter she went to the source she goes who's the best pr firm that yeah. you work with so that's a great yeah that's a, a great approach right you want that's a, Talk about going to the, like circling back around, you know, I was like, okay, well, I'm glad to get that nod from the right people. No, it, it was exactly that. Cause I said, if it's, if it's not me doing it, who's the best to do it and who's going to best represent us. So it was, it was the best referral you can get. And then I, I also think just um, being consistent and, and frankly, having your teams evangelize for your company and your product, we're, in this hyper growth mm -hmm. mode of hiring and to get as many, you know, I mean, I think we have to double the team by end of year if we, to hit our kind of OKRs and everyone's hiring right now. So mm -hmm. the best way to get, you know, tax bit, we raised a massive series A in March, which is incredibly exciting. That doesn't get, thank you. That doesn't get hundred million. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, that's it's just I, a yeah. small series A, you know, average size. A, you know. a, a casual series no, really. A. Um, but really looking to your team to evangelize, looking to your investors, looking to everyone, keeping them up to speed and saying, how, how, what do we need to do and who can we tap to help and not trying to do it all with yourself or with your team yeah. and, and leaning on folks because people really want to help. It's yeah. just how do they help and what do they need to do? I, I think you hit something there and we, we should try to wrap it up soon, but you hit something that is really important. And it's something we've always done with our portfolio companies and I always did as a company, but it's not intuitive to everyone. And when we started doing this with some of our portfolio companies, it, it maximized their own internal efforts. Like we have a group chat that was with me and Joseph and a few of our teammates and then a few of our portfolio companies and close friends and whatever. And it's literally a group chat on WhatsApp where we set rules in it where we said, don't share more than once a day. If you share too much, we're going to kick your ass out. Like, you Don't be annoying <laughs> and be and be respectful. And the whole point is we share a link to a social media post like a Facebook. It's more Twitter and sometimes LinkedIn. But like if you see a post in here, hit the like button, hit the retweet button. It, this, it works best in the teams. And we have some of these groups of different portfolio companies. When they share something, they post in the group. Oh, I shared this link. Because a lot of our portfolio companies too will be like, hey, how come you retweet that one, but not ours? And, and this, and so, because they texted me and they bugged the crap out of me. They were, and so I'll yeah. call and go, hey, why is he texting me? Oh, just, that's easy. I just hit retweet, right? But all you have to do is ask, right? And people don't do it. And that, and again, nothing attracts a crowd more than a crowd. So once there's a little bit of traction, these things start snowballing. We yeah. do that with medium claps, medium claps. So yeah. each person can clap 50 times. You know that, right? So. Yeah. 
get your whole company to clap for your piece, please. You know, and, and we have it's a meeting. Yeah. So we literally throw all of our clients medium posts in Slack. Every one of our team is giving you 50 claps. It's an easy way to get a few hundred claps right away. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's people like don't realize like I, I talk to a team and I'm like, how come there's like three likes on there? Like, it's just what people do. You have 14 employees. So you need that times every single one needs to start with 14. If you don't yeah. have at least 14, then you're at, then what, what's going on? If you can't get your, it's, it's like in the crowdfunding world, we used to say, if you can't get your mom, your sister and your brother to contribute to a campaign, how can you convince anyone else to, right? So I, um, like, I, I track our social engagement across employees <laughs> and will like name and shame. So I have the winners who they're, they're awesome. one of, one of is an engineer and like, did you make a bot? to like, and if you did, that's fine because you're still engaging. But there's a lot of that where we'll see momentum. And I'm like, guys, everything I see, I, I see if you're engaging or not. Like it literally takes two seconds. I'm making it so easy that we have a Slack thread that gives you every post we have. So like, make it yeah. happen, just you go. Keep it easy. Yeah, we use WhatsApp, but if you use Slack, if you use uh, uh, Telegram, if you use, you know, uh, whatever, just, it's so easy. So yeah. okay, we got to do final final plugs. Uh, uh, Kelly, where where can everyone follow you? So I'm Crypto Kelly with K E L L E Y on Twitter. I'm also uh, Crypto Kelly is my extension on LinkedIn. Kelly Weaver, um, MelrosePR.com and MelrosePR on uh, LinkedIn and Twitter as well. And then the podcast is Crypto Token Talk. Awesome. And Michelle, where where do we follow you? Sure. So my Twitter handle's a little quirky. It's at MQ2OCO. Um, I, I thought I was being kitschy going from unmarried to married. It only made sense to me, but it's there. Uh, and then at Taxbit, Taxbit.com. I'm very active on both. So if you're talking to Taxbit on social, you're generally probably talking to me. Um, and then we are Taxbit on Instagram. Awesome. Cool. Thank you. Thank you so much. And, and Joe shared it in the chat too. Uh, thank you, Joe, for sharing that. Yeah, it's it's funny. I used to have, and I used to be really proud that I was at Alonymous on Twitter. And I had that at the beginning. And I had it at the so early on Twitter that I could have just had at Alon. And I didn't take it because I was like, Alonymous, that's my name on everything. And then after doing media a bunch of times and telling people at Alonymous, and they're like, Anonymous? And they go, no, Alonymous. And I'd like say it like four times. I'd be like, I was making at Alon Lauren. And that's what I, I you just ha eventually have to yeah. lose, the, lose the Cool Kids Club credit and, and make it easy. But um, <laughs> that said, everybody, LA Blockchain Summit. We're gonna do it. We're trying to do it in person. It's as of right now happening in person at the LA Convention Center, but we will always keep it free for the live stream and on the virtual uh, uh, system. So go to LABlockchainSummit.com. We're gonna be doing that. Thank you so much for joining us today. Last, uh, last um, <laughs> uh, people sharing their AOL screen names. Yeah, I want everyone to share their <laughs> AOL screen names in the chat right now. Mine was Al Gore 18, not because I cared about Al Gore or anything, is that someone brought up to me when I was in junior high or something that if you knock some letters off my name, it, it could be Al Gore. And so oh, that's that was my stupid AOL screen name. I want to know everybody else's. Uh, go, go in the chat and put that. But if you are uh, joining us on one of the streams, go to meet.blockchainboos.io. Right now, I'm going to go in there and we're going to hang at the tables. 
Thank you so much, Kelly, Michelle, for joining us. Um, I really appreciate your time. I know the community does as well. Thank you so much. And I will uh, I will be seeing you soon, hopefully in person one day yep. soon. Cheers, Cheers and thank you. Cheers. Take care. Thank you.